The biggest problem in a cybersecurity incident response is understanding how the law firm is using its servers, its data, and who has access. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we believe cybersecurity should be proactive and not reactive. Camera Podcast, Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Grace, how are you today? Another week. Good. How are you, Leo? I'm doing great, Grace. I'm excited about recording the last episode in October. Can you believe how time is just flying by? I know. Just flying by, Grace. I can't believe this it's podcast, Halloween. I know, Grace. This podcast is going to be one year old very soon, and we need to plan some sort of party, I guess, uh, and whatever a party means nowadays. So... Yes, I know, but that needs to happen, Grace. So take it seriously. But let's leave all of that small talk uh, for another occasion because we do have a guest for today, Grace, and we have a very, very interesting topic and relevant to talk about. So why don't you do the honor, as always, and introduce our guest for today's podcast? I sure will. So we have a very interesting guest and a fantastic friend of mine, as a matter of fact. We are very pleased to welcome Nathan Cucciari for a conversation on IT and cybersecurity for law firms. Nathan has 20 years of professional experience working with some of the best people in the IT field, and he is also the founder of N8 Solutions, an IT consulting firm that aims to take or make IT simple, honest, and transparent. N8 Solutions was launched in 2010 with the intention of finding a better approach to managed IT services. Their goal is simple, keep their clients happy. They don't like to baffle you with jargon or keep you in the dark about your technology servicing. They aim to make IT simple, honest, and transparent. To learn more about Nathan or Nate at N8 Solutions, visit n8its.com. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, Nate. And we're very happy to have you here. Honestly, the uh, topic of cybersecurity is something that has come up before here. And I know particularly Grace is very, 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 very interested and has shared with us a lot of valuable data about this particular topic. But now that we have you here, I want to start by um, talking about who should be concerned about cybersecurity. Is this something that it's primarily a matter of interest for major, bigger law firms that have multiple locations, they're across the state or at national level, communicating and sending a lot of data through the internet? Who Who's really at risk here? And is anybody exempt from saying, you know... I'm fine. You know, we're a small law firm. Uh, the short answer is everybody needs to be concerned. And I think that's that's what we usually run into is small law firms think, well, why do I need to be concerned? You know, if we're a small law firm, we can recreate, we can do this. Sounds great until you're missing data or you don't have disaster recovery or you don't have the data backed up uh, or you think you have the data backed up uh, and all your data gets wiped out. Most law firms that at least we interact with today work with electronic data one way or the other. Uh, whether it's just something as simple as email uh, or a, a full case management system where the data resides as well. Um, there's a lot of presumptions that everything is okay just because. 
so that's that's what we usually run into. And it's, you know, whether it's a, a large law firm or small law firm, the same rules apply in security, at least in IT. Um, if it's sitting on a computer, uh, you need to make sure that it's it's taken care of. And that doesn't just stop at security because your law firm may get uh, infected or, or security breached. You have the, the other side problem of uh, law firms with medical records, uh, things that are HIPAA compliant uh, documents that you're keeping track of. Um, you know, all of those things fall to the responsibility of the law firm. Uh, a breach may not be a wipeout of your data. It may be, hey, we're just going to take all of the medical information and start logging personal identifiable information like social security numbers or bank account information if you're doing that kind of stuff. So um, it's it's bigger than I think most people realize until they get hit with something. And then they realize, oh, wait a minute, we really did need to care about this. up through. That's exactly right. How many times have you and I, Nate, spoken about this? So all the time, <laughs> right? Nate is our um, IT for Jacovino and Lake and for Persist Communications. So he has a unique perspective on all kinds of sides of this kind of question, right, of cybersecurity. So I'm going to have a question for you right now that you know, it's kind of loaded, I guess, but the way I look at it is like it needs to be answered, right? I know, I know you and I love these loaded questions. What considerations do law firms or what considerations should law firms have or do they need to have about their IT system security? Uh, first thing is, uh, it depends which way you go. You have internal security and external security. So on the internal security side, again, uh, just data that someone that works at the office gets to. Something as simple as that, uh, thinking, you know, does a paralegal need access to everything that exists? We've walked into law firms that, you know, a paralegal will have access to the financial data because the, the data shares are not locked down. There's no security that's just open to everybody. So that's one item that plays into the bigger issue of, of open connectivity from the outside of the world. Uh, that that's something that's even bigger. Obviously, that wipes out a law firm that that causes data breaches that does a lot of things. But it always starts at the internal security and how that's laid out. Uh, then, like I said, you you get concerned about things on the outside. Is it protected coming in? Um, you know, we've come across law firms that my 13-year-old could have gotten to the data from the internet with no problem. Um, and unbeknownst to the law firm, they've never had it looked at because they think, God, oh, we're a 10, 15-person law firm. We don't need all this. We pay a very low cost for this server or we well, this this product. Um, so because it has a big name behind it, uh, like a GoDaddy or, or Microsoft Azure or AWS, they think, ah, it's fine. No, it doesn't automatically protect what you've got. Um, so that's 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 the that's the biggest. Thank you very much for saying that because I actually do have here a question that kind of goes back to people being under the impression that because they are using renowned names for uh, as a server for the website or they have some cloud solutions uh, implemented, all of their data is backed up automatically and everything is good and secure. So a, a lot of organizations right now work out of the cloud, right? They use their CRMs or case management systems. They're all cloud operated. So does that automatically set them in a place where they are being protected by this cloud provider, if you may? Well, that's actually giving them the CRM or case management software or communications uh, system, but it's cloud-based. So, you know, what's the, the, the line where they stop protecting you and you need to start also taking steps to protect your data? Right. The, the short answer is you can't always assume that. So the answer is no. Should they be? Absolutely. Are they? That's always something you question. In the IT world, 
you know, and this is old school IT 20 years ago, we go, uh, assume nothing. Uh, you have to think of it as it has to be proven to you that things are secure. You can't just go on that. Oh, because it's this product, it's secure. Oh, because it's, uh, and I use GoDaddy as a, an easy one because there's a customer that had a server in GoDaddy that literally had no protection, no firewall, no protection. There was nothing stopping it. It was wide open to the world. Um, and when we first walked in, you get a, a server that's having hundreds of thousands of breach attempts daily. And that's, that's on the low end. Uh, with no protection compared to ones that we were protecting customers we already have going like much bigger customers with a, a lower impact. So the assumption that because it's a, a big name doesn't necessarily mean uh, you, you have to assume that you still have to go through and vet that here. You know, you have to ask the questions, you know, what kind of security do you have? What kind of compliance do you have? You know, if you're doing, uh, you know, medical records and things like that, or does it hold HIPAA compliance? If you're doing financial transactions, uh, credit card payment processing for, for whatever, or passing uh, financial data back and forth. You know, do you have those types of compliances? So just because it's a big name and just because it's a service, you still have to ask the questions. There are services out there that do cover that. They are they they will provide information that says, here's what makes us compliant, here's what makes us secure, here's how your data is protected. Um, however, we run across often where you get a big name that you think has that um, and it doesn't. Most of the time, a big name like a GoDaddy, Microsoft, and Amazon, big names, they're not creating the product that you're using. It might be based in their service, but it's a third-party vendor that's created the product. So again, questions, questions, more questions, and more questions are always important. Okay, so you're bringing here very, very good point. So you cannot just go from the cover and say, oh, it's a big name, it's a renowned software or whatever company. I'm protected. Now, if you're putting up your data on the cloud, should you secure basically the connection in which it's getting uploaded up to the cloud? Should you actually have a backup of all the data that you have on the cloud locally also, both? What are reasonable uh, steps to take and when it's kind of like an overkill? Well, in the backup world, there's never overkill. How many, how, <laughs> how many insurance policies can you take out to protect something? I mean, you have to be reasonable what applies to your business. Uh, you know, and, and and like I said, it depends on what you're using and asking the questions. How is the data protected? You know, and in the same note, uh, where does the data store? How does it how does it reside there? Do I need to have a copy? Do I have easy access to the copy? It's hard to give a blanket statement on that because it, there are so many different variations of that specific instance to say, you know, we've got backups here. You could you go out and get a service, and they say, okay. Uh, you know, we do uh, SSL connectivity. So, you know, that's safe. And our data is out in Azure. Okay, that's great too. Uh, and the backup, you know, runs like this. Okay, that's fine. Is there somebody checking the backups? Are the backups uh, uh, compliant with regulation? Uh, what's the restore time for a backup? Uh, do, do I care the fact that I no longer control my own data? It now sits here in a third party, you know, Azure, the data may sit in the Azure, but the Azure instance, the storage instance may belong to, you know, vendor B. And now you have to go through the process. Vendor B is, you can't call Azure and say, I need my data, Azure. Azure's not going to care. Microsoft's going to say, yeah, you're not our customer. Vendor B is our customer. So you've got to verify these different levels of things. Um, you know, again, all depending on the needs of the business uh, and recovery time plus uh, comfortability with, how, am I, do I have access to my data when we need it? 
that's always a question we get in, in smaller, medium-sized businesses and, and law firms, especially. Uh, you know, there was a data breach maybe six months ago uh, uh, with a customer that, you know, again, we we can purvey uh, information and and put down a set of rules, but not being the actual business, we can't enforce them. So we do have customers that we put out, here are the guidelines and this is what we recommend. And most of the time they'll follow it. Sometimes they say, yeah, we're going to do this anyway. Somebody went that route and did it anyway. Uh, hit with a crypto virus, wiped out the entire infrastructure. Uh, we had to rebuild all the, the servers. Disaster recovery and backups, that's what they're there for. Uh, I think we had the, the entire uh, law firm, roughly 100 people back up and running, I think within 72 hours, which is pretty good. Uh, the law firm did freak out and they said, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you know, thinking about that, if we wouldn't have had you guys with the disaster recovery that we, you know, that's one of our main focuses when we, when we work with everyone is we want to make sure the data is there. Uh, if they wouldn't have done that, he goes, our law firm would have been done. We don't have copies of this data. There's, there's been massive breaches in the same realm with other firms, other, uh, firms that are not ours, uh, that have been literally wiped out. Yeah, they don't have the data. There is no going back and saying, hey, we have all this case data sitting around. It was all electronic. The backups didn't exist. No one was paying attention to it and just assumed everything was good. So, you know, like I said, there are varying levels of when you entrust your business into someone else, whether it's a big name or a vendor that uses a big name, you still have to ask the questions. Prove to me why I can be comfortable that you have my entire business in your hands. And that's at least what we do for our folks. Nate, the example that you just gave us here, it's quite, it's catastrophic, right? I mean, to lose your entire data in just one instance, yep. uh, Loki here, the client had a way to restore through you and that's wonderful. But I guess many of our listeners may be asking themselves, where what are the kind of things that can lead to you losing all of your data sure. in an instant, right? What, what kind of attacks are these? Is this something that you can up to a certain con a way control? Is this an employee opening uh, a harmful file without knowing or knowing for, you know, what are the things that can actually trigger these kind of uh, events? Yeah, you're, you're in the right realm. And that's, that's usually where we, you know, where we hit the, here's our IT recommendation versus what a company wants to do, what a firm wants to do, you know, uh, security internal to your own environment is, you know, number one to everything we talk about. When you walk into an environment that has little to no security and everybody has access to everything and everybody's an admin on their machine and everybody has full rights to all of the uh, critical data that runs the business, as I kind of mentioned, where users could see financial data. When you have that going on, that's, that's just a, a powder keg waiting to go. So you've got all yeah. these people here that have access to everything. That's good. That's fine. Maybe you have a firewall and it's blocking connections from coming in and it's a good firewall and that's that's great. However, the problem comes into play here. Uh, security breaches usually will happen from the back door. Someone has let something in. It's not necessarily going, ah, they breached your firewall and you know they've gotten it and they're using this, these exploits. That can happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's usually not. It's usually that, you know, uh, uh, user one got an email that says, hey, this is your, and it looks like it's from their boss. Hey, I need you to you know, go to this website and give me some info. And amazingly, people will click on it and they'll go put their password in and they'll log into something and start putting passwords in that get key logged somewhere else. Um, or it'll it'll you drive by and drop in a, a remote connector into their machine. Now it's got access. Now you have a way to get in. Cryptovirus has, has been the biggest thing on the, on the, 
threat scale this year, at least, and, and beyond. The crypto virus drops in and says everything this person has access to, encrypt it and lock it, including system files. Leave just enough so that machines run, but lock out everything else. And it spreads, as it is a virus, like a virus. It, it crypto locks all of the data. Leaves a little note on your desktop that says, click here to pay us two Bitcoins, which I don't know if that's still 11 grand, 22 grand, whatever it is. Uh, pay us ransom for us to give you the key to unlock all your data. And usually there's no key. They're not going to give it to you. There are companies that have paid the ridiculous ransom where some work, some don't. So uh, going back to you know the, the people on the inside, keeping things secure, keeping things segregated internally, that's always the easiest way in for hackers to get access and take down a company is usually the back door in because somebody clicks on a link that they're not supposed to, but they don't know what it is. Nate, thanks for clarifying that. And yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Now, here's another, and I'm going to call it a myth because it may or may not be true. We'll, we'll see what you have to say. But people saying, well, I use Mac, right? I use Mac. And, and those machines are not easily hacked. And the people cannot, they're privacy-centered, they're focused, they have better security systems, you name it. True or false? I, w I would go on false. It's a it's a lower rate of transmission when you have a million Windows machines and a hundred thousand Macs. Well, yes, the rate's going to be lower because you have less machines. You know, uh, it's they're not they don't have the same the same targeted ba base. Um, Macs get infected just as Windows get infected. They have similar, and again, they're not the same operating system. Uh, they can be targeted in certain ways to go the same way. So no, it's. I, I always, I my opinion has always been it's it's a false narrative to say you know Macs are more secure than more. No, they're just targeted less. Fair enough. Um, so I've been accused of being a Mac hater because of that exact comment that I've made. I agree with you. There's less. Yeah, you use Mac. Yeah, see, it's not that you dislike it. It's just there are less people in the business yeah. environment that use Mac, so yep. there's a less targeted base. I completely agree with you, Nate. And I feel the same way because my daughter likes to click on a lot of things yes. and she, hers has <laughs> definitely gotten viruses before where I had to clear it out and roll it back and fix it. Yeah. So, yeah, Microsoft has always been, uh, you know, a, a business in general, it, the compatibility of the things that it does is fairly universal. Mac has a place too, whereas I use uh, I generally, you know, we're a Windows shop. We do Windows everything. Being a Microsoft partner, everything's Windows. However, there are times that a Mac is sometimes easier. I don't need everything. I don't need, I need a browser. I want to be able to, you know, I also like iPhone, so I can't can't really say that I, I hate Mac or anything. Uh, uh, <laughs> I do, Mac has some good qualities for it, but from, from a business standpoint, not so much. Right. It's great for, for communication. It's great for you know, uh, FaceTime is one of our favorite things to use to where we've actually we've actually gone the route of going. It may be worth sending an iPad to all of our customers because it's easy to FaceTime with everybody. It makes perfect sense. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's it's not a, a Mac hate problem. It's not a, you know, this is better than that. It's they, they kind of have different places in the in the marketplace, in right. my opinion. And compatibility in general, like you said, I mean, for business processes, Microsoft is just the way it's easier. It goes with everything else that I need right. to do. So right. I understand that. So I'm going to ask you another kind of, it's loaded, but not loaded. And you kind of touched upon it while we were talking about it, which is what are some of the, I guess, inherent risks of not having the right systems in place? 
Uh, inherent risks of not having the right systems in place. I mean, that's kind of an open-ended question. That's yes. there are many variations that I could I could probably tackle that on. I think uh, the right systems for what you're using as a business are obviously important. The right systems to manage security are important. Backups are important. Antivirus is important. Uh, uh, all the things that go with the risk that you're dealing with. You know, data encryption. Uh, you know, BitLocker, for example, is another area of concern as well. Is that, you know, as a business, and especially law firms, you have to uh, look at what what do we keep in our office? What data do we hang on to? What's our process? What do we go through? And those are where you have to weigh out, okay, what do we need to, to spend money on? What do we need to buy as a product? What do we need as a service? Um, you know, there are varying levels of what you can put in place to mitigate things that happen. Um, so I guess the, the, it's a very long winded, <laughs> my brain's going in the, here are all the things they hear all the things that you can discuss. And I think it's important to verify what you need as a business and see what does that take everything in it. And, and for as long as I've been in it is seen as a cost center. Oh, we have to pay money for this. Oh, we have to pay money for that. Oh, we have to pay for these guys, this service, that backup, these products, this application. However, you know, there are two things that that does. One is efficiencies in the business. You know, uh, you know, are you doing things that can be uh, uh, made more efficient by technology in general? You know, can will things move faster? You know, do we do we need to uh, have one person that opens the envelopes every day? Or could we use that person to do uh, a couple things that are more advanced? That's a really simple one, I guess. Um, and then the same thing on the flip side with security. What kind of security? Like an insurance policy. How much do we need? Do I need to be up back up and running within the within the same day? You know, that's costly. Am I okay to be down for three days? You know, we have customers that usually go, ah, oh, we're fine for a couple of days. There's only been probably two, maybe three instances in the last decade where one of our customers has been uh you know catastrophically breached. And it's generally because somebody didn't listen, but they've been catastrophically breached. And generally we ask in the beginning. How long do you need? How long can you be down for? And they'll say, oh, you know, a week's fine. And they get hit and they go, oh, my God, we're, we're down. We're down. There's nothing we can do. What are we going to do? Hey, you told us a week and that's what you wanted to pay for. You want a day. It gets costly, not necessarily by the services we provide, but the products or applications or things that you need to put in place to make that happen. Right. To sort of backtrack on what happened to begin with because they right. didn't pay attention. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know both of us kind of. I think a lot of times can speak and you speak, uh, uh, you know, on a, a more layman's terms to make people understand what, you know, a little bit more about cybersecurity, but I had kind of a, a very specific question about yeah. blockchain. I've seen this blockchain thing. Okay. That's what I'm gonna call it a thing. Cause I don't know exactly what it does or what it is. And I've seen it on like these DocuSigns or Zoho sign and those types of things. I understand that that's some kind of component of security, what is it? Is it something that, you know, you could explain a little bit just because I, I again, I keep seeing it and I, I kind of want to pick your brain about that. Yeah, and yeah. Can you give me an example of where most recently you've seen it? Yes. So in Zoho sign, um, there's an administrative option to add a setting where it does a blockchain date time stamp. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, blockchain uh, generally like 
any other kind of encrypted data like digital rights management or encryption is generally going to encrypt data to say, hey, look, um, I can take a Word document, you know, for example, just a regular Word document. And I can say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to decompress a Word document. If you rename a, a docx file as .zip, it actually separates it out where you see it in different components. Here's the text part, here's the, here's the formatting, and you can dig through it. Um, you know, there's plain text in documents that you can read into. Blockchain, uh, BitLocker, you know, different encryption technologies are going to say, hey, we're going to actually lock the data. So if I pull your hard drive out and it uh, has, I'll use BitLocker as an example. If BitLocker is, is enabled, um, I'll go non-BitLocker. I can take the hard drive, plug it into something, read all the data and pull the files off it. That's no problem. Uh, BitLocker, if I pull the drive off and plug it in, all the data is encrypted. There's nothing I can see. It's encrypted data. You need the, the decryption key that's uh, either on the machine itself uh, or it depends if you're using Azure BitLocker. Uh, the key exists somewhere else to basically decrypt the data as you've logged in to say, hey, you can look at this now. Um, assuming in the uh, example you gave, same thing, there's, there's an encryption uh, key that's going to show you the data. I see. Okay. So it's just another level of security, essentially, with... Right. Whatever on the back right. end. Yeah. I mean, in, in the in the general world, anything that you have that is of importance and that's financial, that's medical, that's anything that's personal information, things like that, should be uh, encrypted uh, in some capacity. Should be. Okay. We could only get everybody to listen. Well, that's I clicked on that button and I thought that it was a good idea. So I just I was like, okay, another level of security on you know some kind of a HIPAA authorization or one of those. Of course, I would like to add it. So that, thank you for the very good explanation. That helps me kind of understand where I'm going with the blockchain thing, at least a little bit. Uh, go ahead, Leah. So I I have a question, Grace, and I it's I don't I'm gonna call it a little bit more of a philosophical question because this uh, the, the blockchain thing was a little bit too technical. I'm kind of like wondering if um, this society, uh, you know, in the U.S., we're just not so concerned as a whole about privacy issues online, right? And I'm thinking if we were to have something like they have in Europe with the GDPR policies in place and such, our mindset would change and would be more concerned about data and privacy and where data is being kept and that sort of thing. What's your take on that, Nate? Do you think that could influence uh, the way that we go about security and data protection and many of the things that you try to solve and are solving for your clients? Yeah, I mean, I, I, anytime you're talking about data privacy, I mean, obviously, everybody should care about it. Everybody should understand what's what's happening, what's not. Um, and, and, you know, that's where compliance uh, rules generally are coming in, like HIPAA, like uh, PCI compliance, you know, and, and others, it's ISO certifications. All these compliances exist. The problem that we always think, at least in, in opinion, at least, is that there's never a clear-cut way on some of these on what does that exactly mean? You know, who's who? Ha I'll use HIPAA because law firms generally, anybody that's in law in the law uh, firm uh, industry that is doing anything that re involves a medical anything, um, it should be thinking HIPAA compliance. HIPAA compliance is all medical records, right? Uh, and it's user medical records. Uh, what does HIPAA compliance actually do? 
Um, everybody, I think, has the idea of it. Your your job is to protect that medical data to make sure that hey, it's it's secured and it's it's uh, taken care of. But what exactly does that mean? Uh, you know, what's what's the test? I'll try and simplify it. What's the checkbox list that says, hey, here are the things that you have to have to be HIPAA compliant. And that's kind of the problem I think that we've seen in some customers. Um, obviously, we are not. Before I before I go too far, we are not uh, regulations experts in every compliance component that exists uh, in the U.S. Uh, obviously not. Uh, however, uh, it would be easier to implement and easier to push if there were very specifics that said, "Hey, look, here are the things that you can do that make you HIPAA compliant." Uh, the questions will come up. Law firm has a, a medical record; it sits on their server. They're responsible for that. Uh, are they responsible uh, for digital rights management to say, hey, it's locked down. So, you know, outside of this organization, it can't be read because it's 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 locked down in here. Um, how about email breaches? If it's if your email is breached and the medical record exists and it gets forwarded off to a third party that, uh, you know, a uh, uh, hacker will say, um, is that the law firm's responsibility that their email has now been breached? Those are always questions that we we run across. So um, it would be good to have better guidelines uh, uh, specific to HIPAA compliance and IT. Obviously, I think, you know, you walk into the doctor's office, they're not going to say, hey, you know, Bob Smith has this problem in the in the lobby, and then everybody knows that. I think from an IT perspective, uh, clarity on, you know, what, what gets you to HIPAA compliance uh, specifically. I mean, there are rules and regulations, and there are recommendations that sit out there, and there are people that this is this is what they do. Uh, you know, compliance to that degree. Um, trucking company I used to work for many years ago, we would have, you know, auditors in often making sure that everything that was being done uh, was compliant in the, in the trucking industry. Uh, you know, obviously, medium, small law firms, they're not going to have a full-time uh, auditing company coming in once a month and saying, I'm going through all of your stuff. I'm pretty sure the costs would probably be astronomical for law firms. So, uh, yeah, some guidance, some, some higher level uh, checks and balances that were clear, I think would go a long way. Nate, thank you so much. And yes, uh, I agree. I mean, a lot of these regulations, as you're saying, they can be somewhat ambiguous and it's not always, or they were not always created specifically for the digital world, right? And so the adaptation of them to things that are now happening through digital means are sometimes kind of like open for interpretation, right? It depends right. who you ask, depends the answer you'll get. Now, Going back to that and what I've just said about, you know, now in the digital age, now that we are in the midst still of a pandemic. So, you know, a lot of law firms continue to work remotely, have their team working from home, from their own internet con connections, sometimes who knows, maybe using their own personal uh, devices, right, to connect and, and work um, from wherever it is that they are. Quick checklist of things that law firms should be keeping in mind now that they're under these circumstances, right? Because when they're all under the same office, same roof, same internet connection, same IP, you, you have some level of control. Now, what happens when your team is scattered around the city or the state or the nation? Chaos. <laughs> chaos. Unless, unless you have us, then it's chaos. And I, and I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because in our... It's hard to say what everybody else does. I can tell you what we do. All of our customers have always had the ability to work remotely. It's it's the underlying fabric of how we design infrastructure. It's there. It doesn't mean everybody's using it. it doesn't mean we're going to implement it all over the place. It means that it's there. Uh, uh, one of our customers, 
when the pandemic hit and they're in a big city that literally said, everybody's done, you have to go home. Uh, they had no hiccup in business because everything was already configured for people to securely remote in and work from home. Uh, people weren't connecting uh, with their personal machines into the actual data set. Uh, they were they were getting in via a different method that got them into the network securely and kept things segregated. Their home machine was not running uh, any data through it specific. Uh, we'll say screenshots and keystrokes were were the extent of the risk. They they went in to the pandemic and you know the the seventy five to one hundred people there kept functioning. Their law firm didn't have a hiccup in it. They have other law firms, same problem or similar similar circumstance, obviously. Everybody's got to work home. They had no way to do it. They have law firms that they worked with that just went under because there was no way for them. They didn't have it pre-built. They didn't have, you know, uh, and, and that's probably extreme. And I'm sure that others have come into play and said, hey, we need to, you know, create these uh, uh, remote access components. But we've seen some that they've just said, oh, we're just going to have people use their machine at home, uh, which again, from a law firm uh, perspective, I would think uh, when people are running data through their personal machine at home, which there is no security that you can guarantee there. Uh, there's nothing you can say, oh yes, they've, they're now going to log in at, you know, maybe it's a website. Yeah, that, that's their case management system. And then maybe it's publicly available. Now that people are, you know, we've made our website publicly available. Uh, we're going to download all of our data locally and work on it there and then upload it back into the system. Now, now you've got a different risk at hand. You know, all of the people that aren't under the lock and key of the, the business, now you're assuming that their computer is secure, assuming that they have antivirus, assuming that they have a firewall, assuming that they're not already infected. Um, those are those are the things that worry us. Our customers, we generally go out and, and we'll say, hey, look, you know, here's, here's how we've got things set up to securely make that connection. You either go this route, or our recommendation is, you know, go. We have another customer that literally bought laptops for everybody in the company that were under the control of IT, and said, "We've locked the laptops down. They are secured. They their connectivity works like this." Um, you know, we generally try and discourage and say, "Hey, look, you know, your personal machine from home sounds great, uh, but the risk that comes with it uh, may not be." That makes sense. So to be bulletproof here, you actually need to to be bulletproof here. You actually need to have uh, control over the machine, right? Ideally, yeah. I mean, there, there are other there are other things that work in in a similar capacity, and I'll I'll use an example specific. Uh, you know, like uh, a file sharing company, not not naming any names, has some security apparatus in it that says, "Hey, before someone's allowed to uh, hit." The, the file servers uh, go through and check to make sure they have antivirus, make sure they have certain security things in place. And they do enable things like multi-factor authentication so it's not wide open to the internet. There, there has to be some level of, you know the person logging in is the person logging in, um, which is a good and fine. Uh, but there's a customer that they didn't look into that and they started turning things on and we brought up these same things we're talking about here going, hey, look, if, if you're turning this on to the world, what protections are in place? Well, it's this big company. If they have protections, no, not necessarily. Let's check. Well, we check. They do have them, but they come at an even higher price. So what they thought they were paying on an annual basis to the company went up three or four times the amount just to enable security, which may have changed the decision to use that as the product of choice. We end up with that a lot. People will jump into something and say, hey, yeah, this is great. It's a big company. They do this. And we find out, yeah, but you didn't actually buy all the things that cover you. 
that's more money. And that may have been a, a business change, a decision change if they would have known early on. Yeah. That's, you know, read the fine print or not even the fine print, right? Like just the actual, <laughs> yeah, um, get better informed. So that's certainly something that we are learning in this conversation. Now, I, for the last question, before we actually wrap up things here, I heard you repeat quite a few things a few times, right? Antivirals, firewalls, backups. Which of these things, and I mean, I'm sure there's going to be listeners here that are going to consider, you know, having or initiating a conversation with an IT specialist if they haven't done so yet, right? We'll make sure that Nate's contacts are on the episode notes. But which actual solutions can a law firm, you know, what steps can a law firm take and say, well, you know what, we're just going to put up these steps into place. We're going to uh, buy this software or this hardware so that we are better protected. What are a few things that law firms can actually do by themselves to just be better prepared until they can actually bring on board someone like you to actually, you know, build a whole infrastructure of security? Sure. Um, I, you know, the first thing that, that and it's the most important that anybody's doing, uh, is always disaster recovery and backup. You know where it goes. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. We try and stay fairly vendor agnostic. We have some things that we that we literally run through our company to our customers that you know obviously we think are the best for that situation. But backups, backups, backups. Making sure the backups are actually backing up. Making sure that you know uh, what you think is backing up. Confirm that the backup is actually successful, and make sure it's actually backing up the important data. Uh, the first thing we run into is that yeah, we've got backups. Okay, let's take a look. We look at their backups. Yeah, it hasn't run in six months. It's been failing for this reason. Uh, that happens more than you think. And, and it seems like common sense, but people think the backups are there and it's running and it's not. Uh, so backups uh, to the nth degree to make sure that there's a copy of data is always the first thing to look at, um, no matter what you do. Uh, antivirus, antivirus is, you know, I would say is, I don't wanna say is a dime a dozen, but there are some that are better than others. It depends on, uh, uh, what you're protecting, uh, you know, if it's just desktops uh, versus if it's servers with advanced applications on it, uh, you know, antivirus is always important as well. But backups cover are, are the coverall, no matter what happens. And antivirus is not going to protect you from everything that ever happens. And I think people get the wrong impression thinking, I have antivirus, I'm fine. That's not how that works. Generally, you're going to be okay. It's going to protect you against a lot. If it's a good antivirus, uh, you know, that'll happen. Uh, however, Zero days do happen, exploits do happen, and things do happen that get around an antivirus. That's 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 you know the crux of it. People have thought for the last twenty years, ah, we have antivirus, we're safe. No, it's it's good. It's a good deterrent. It's gonna it's gonna do a lot of things, but there is nothing that is going to protect you uh, as a business, as an organization, as actually having backups. On top of the backups, I would say the other thing that's important and should be for business as well is what's our recovery time look like. How much time do we actually need? What can we actually live with, with being down uh, in getting our data back and being back up and running and assume the worst catastrophic event? You know, our office disappears off the face of the earth. Hopefully no one's hurt, but it falls off the face of the earth. Now what? Okay, we have backups, but it's gonna take us two weeks to get the data. That, you know, for some businesses we go, yeah, we can live for two weeks, no big deal. You really have to think about that though. Other businesses go, yeah, no, we're we're we need it today. If we're if we're down a day, we're losing X amount in, in revenue, or we're losing X amount in business, or we have deadlines as a law firm that 
the court generally is not going to tell us, oh, okay, we'll find another time some other day for you guys to come in and defend your case or or, or put your case through. So backups are always important. And uh, like I said, in, in my in my self, uh, <laughs> for all new customers, we do a free discovery and look through uh, at no cost to say, hey, that's that's our that's our you know first uh, uh, interaction with uh, anybody. Uh, as we'll walk through and run through all the things that we do checks and balances on and give a report that says, here are all the things we find that you found that you need to do. 90% usually end up going with us and we usually fix all those problems. But we say, but you don't have to. That's what that's the idea of a free discovery is take it. use If you have IT, great. If you want to go somewhere else, that's great too. Uh, always go through and make sure. And then once you have done that, always make sure to, to keep up on that. Like anything else in business, you do it once doesn't mean you never look at it again. We did it last year. You still want to go through and verify, you know, every year that, or, or more frequently, uh, that you have all of these things in place. Uh, and that in the event that you do get wiped out uh, from a data standpoint, you know that you have data that's being checked. You know that the data is safe and secure and you know that, you know, you can recover your business. You know, like I said, the big business that, that said, ah, we can be down for whatever, and then we're back up in three days, at that point realized how important that data was as a law firm and how the impact would have been had they not had it. So, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of businesses do, at least here in Florida in particular, right? And you, you can attest to this, Nate, they have disaster recovery plans for the business, right? Where they put in all these plans and, you know, business continuity plans and all this, that, the other. And sometimes they include infrastructure, which is you. And a lot of times, though, I've noticed they don't, which is doesn't make sense to me because particularly in Florida, I mean, what happens if everything goes down? You know, do you have a backup data center? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have this? Do you have that? All the things that you just said. So that kind of brings us a little bit to what I would say the close of the conversation. What are three actionable takeaways from this conversation that people can just basically say, all right, this is my checklist. I'm going to take it from this. Or it doesn't even have to be a checklist. It's just three items that they can say, I'm listening to you right now. What can I do today or over the next maybe month to help my infrastructure, my IT, my cybersecurity? Another, that's actually a loaded question. Uh, it depends on how you prioritize your business and what your needs are. And I guess I'll go with the the general, uh, you know, backups. And I use backups and disaster recovery very interchangeably uh, for this reason. Uh, there is a large company in Florida uh, who, uh, a very, very big, uh, not a law firm, but I mean a couple thousand people size company in Florida uh, that has an IT department that was breached and the crypto ask was ridiculous. I mean, it was, it was big. And someone gave us a call and said, Hey, can we get your opinion on this and advice on this? This is, this is huge. Uh, you know, what, what should we pay the ransom? Should we do something with it? And the recommendation was, uh, okay, well, let's take a look. What do you, what do you have? And, and kind of that discovery mode, what do you guys have for backups? What are you running? Oh yeah, well, we have backups. So why can't you restore them? Uh, we can't find the encryption key to actually unlock the backups. So backups are, you know, important. Uh, disaster recovery is kind of the bigger picture of a backup, but documentation of your backups kind of goes along with that as well. So the, the number one thing, what are your backups? 
What's the retention time? How quickly can you get recovered? Do you have, uh, you know, the actual information to recover the data? Like I just explained in that case. Um, and are you sure that you're actually backing up all the data that you think you're backing up? You know, uh, if you have current IT, it should be, hey, what are our backups? What do they look like? What's the what's the uh, uh, the status of the backups? Are do we have a re every day? Are we getting confirmation that they're being backed up? And have they been tested? You know, are we making sure that we have a process for that? So backups, 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 more backups, and everything else about backups is always number one. Uh, you know, after that, then you start going into uh, security of the network. You know, how secure is our network? You know, what do we have protected coming in? Uh, how secure is our data? How secure is our internal network? Is it just open to everybody that's here? Is it not open to everybody that's here? You know, what do we have going on there? Uh, I think those are probably top two. And then three is obviously antivirus and things that go with it as well to, to try and protect against that. So like I said, it's a very, that's, that's a very open ended three because there are some big things that, that, you know, you really can start drilling down into, but I would say backups, data security, and, and antivirus. If, if I parse it down to just a few words, which I usually don't. Well, so. <laughs> actually, all of those are very, very, very good takeaways. And I really think what you've said there about documentation is so critical, right? Because how many people have all of these systems set up into autopilot? Yeah. Yet they they wouldn't know how to to use it, how to implement it, how to restore a broken system or anything like that because they just either don't have the know how they they did not document well the setup part of it. It's so common, Grace. I mean, I've seen this so many times um, happen, and it's uh, it, it's very very worrisome. Uh, not obviously in the sense of data breach or such, but when we're setting up campaigns or something for our clients or anything like that, hey, we, we need access to your domain register. We need access to your server. They have no idea. They don't they don't know how to access. Like they don't have access to their Google My Business. They don't have access to any of the things that they actually should keep almost on a safe lock, right? Because this is so important. They have so much built into that. So um, yeah, I, I can totally- is your underlying, everything we talk about, documentation, uh, password security, uh, that kind of goes hand in hand, which you know we really didn't talk about. And, and But that's something else to add in that mix as well. Documenting the data uh, so that you have, you know where everything is. Uh, securing passwords. So the password, not yeah. password, which amazingly still happens in the 21st century. People still use the password password and then ask, why did we get a data breach? Well, your password is password. That's, that's not a hard one to get. That gets brute force, you know, now. Yeah. So you, you've hit those nails on the head. I think that are important too, is making sure that uh, uh, security and documentation exists as well. And vetting everybody that wants to touch the items that are coming into your business. And we didn't, like I said, I could go on for days about it, but that's one other thing that you need to make sure as well is, you know, having good IT um, also, uh, you know, puts the best interest of your business in play, not, oh, what this vendor wants this, so we're going to give them access. Oh, that vendor wants this, give them access. You know, and that's kind of what we play for all of our customers is our our best interest is our customer. We act as if we're their company. We don't care about the vendor. And you sometimes we don't care about what's in the best interest of our company so long as it doesn't you know, <laughs> cause any major issues for us, we want to make sure that we're filling that role. You know, you don't let people into your network and say, yeah, go ahead and access our server and do whatever you want and whenever you want, yeah. and that's okay. So, you know, oversight, transparency, uh, information, documentation on all the things that we've talked about in this whole conversation are always important. Absolutely, Nate. Nate, thank you so much for taking the time 
to share so much information on this. It's really mind-blowing, right, when you start thinking about it. So thank you, right? If our listeners would like to contact you and potentially set up one of those discovery calls, they can, right? That's right. That's right. We're always Excellent. here and we're always looking to help everyone out. You can only win with a deal like that, right? So how many it's, in life uh, that are free, and I mean really free <laughs> with nothing attached to it. Uh, I think my dad still says that to this day. But uh, And like I said, the, the biggest thing that we offer is just a free discovery and a report to say, here's what we found. And there is literally uh, nothing that, that yeah. puts anybody on the hook for that. So, Yeah, I know we've advocated about that here a lot. We've talked to some great uh, service providers, vendors uh, that serve the legal industry. And really when they say, you know, we'll be happy to share with you and, disco and, and disclose opportunities that are identified. It's not going to cost you. They really, really mean it, right? So definitely, if this is something, an, an area of concern, jump on it. And it's another thing, right? We don't talk a lot about it, but it's not easy to find the right IT partner. It's one of those... It's one of those uh, uh, specialty services that it's still hard to come across with, right? It's one of those things that you want a recommendation. You don't just want to go with someone. You want someone that has a badge that is approved by someone you trust. And so coming from Jacobino and Lake and Persist, and so you can pretty much say that uh, people would be in good hands with you. So great. Thank you again for being part of this conversation and stay safe. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. What a great conversation. And I know I always say that we have great conversations, but this is just really like eye-opening, right? Because it takes you back a few steps above your organization and is making you look at things from a big picture standpoint, right? What exactly. would happen if, or am I prepared for that? And I think that's something that we cannot afford. And I'm just saying we, every business owner that relies on data on the internet, not to be well protected and have things in place, Grace. And so I know both of us take this very seriously and make sure that we have the right protocols in place, but that doesn't mean you don't have to constantly be asking the right questions and making sure that you are revisiting your systems frequently so that you're always relevant, you always have the right solution. And as soon as you implement something new, whether it's a new piece of software, a new play, a new procedure, you also make that part of your protocol, right, Grace? You were you were talking about infrastructure, so I think there's a lot to digest here from this conversation. Nate gave us so much uh, good insights and takeaways. So, what would you make our three takeaways here, Grace? So, I'd start with what I consider the checklist of what needs to be in place at the most basic level. To me, those are, as he said a thousand times, disaster recovery and backups, which is considered a part of disaster recovery, right? If something happens, what if, just like you said, Liel, if something breaks down and something, it doesn't matter if anything happens to your data, what's going to happen? You need yeah. to have that in place. You need to know that your backups work, that you have access to it. You know, when we were talking about encryption, that you know how to, how to access it not just yeah. having access to it, right? Yeah. I, I think, Grace, to be very honest with you, that whole kind of like contingency plan needs to obviously have the right assets to be implemented, but it really needs to describe what happens step-by-step step if something were to happen. Like who gets contacted, what the message is, 
what information needs to be sent out on that first communication that goes out? What happens with the clients during the time of recovery? Like, it needs to be very comprehensive. I know we were focusing a lot on the technical aspect side of things here, right? On the actual recovery of data. But you also need to have the contingency of how the business continues during operating and how do they handle you know, the impact of it to the front-facing customers, partners, you name it. So I think I'm just looking at it from, from an operational standpoint. You definitely need to have all that very, very well documented so that when think, bad things happen, you don't have to start rethinking things. And you know what's the other part, think, Grace, that I've also learned? This is particularly working in hotels, right? Where you actually need to have all kinds of contingencies in place. As Evacuation to, plans. Exactly. Business, right. I mean, exactly. business continuity plans, right? What Absolutely. happens to the guests that are in your hotel while it's happening? Yeah. So here is a few things uh, that I can share. Rehearse it, right? Literally rehearse it. Set up at least twice a year, times where this is actually going to be rehearsed and you actually go through the entire motions to see whether everything works and the systems are in place. So that's Such super important. Point. Such yep. a good point. Now, the other one, Grace, is after a rehearse, document your feedback and make adjustments because chances are that you're going to discover that something could have been done more efficiently or something did not work as expected. So you need to make sure that you're constantly updating this document so that you have the most relevant and efficient version always available at hand, right? Needless to say, if you ever have to use this uh, document for a real-life situation, then, of course, you always you also need to go back and document and actually say exactly, uh, have a leave a precedent of how things actually worked, what worked, what didn't, so that you can uh, take considerations for if it were ever happen again. So, Grace, I think that's a very, very good takeaway. What would you say are other couple of things that we can take out of this conversation? So I think it kind of goes in hand in hand with the disaster recovery and backups. And I know I'm, I'm being just slightly technical in terms of that. And so I appreciate you bringing it to the more business oriented side of it, but you need to have <laughs> firewalls and antivirus and vet your vendors. Like to me, those are like just three very, very specific things that you have to do. You have to have a firewall in place for your business and you need to have an antivirus for all the computers and all the systems that you have in place as well. And before you get to those or have those in place, you need to vet them. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Grace. And I also think, you know, kind of going more towards the actionable long hanging fruits that people can control themselves. Um, read the fine print, make sure that you're choosing the right level uh, of program Service. or solution or, or membership that's for your business, right? Usually, and I, I just kind of like giving a real life example, if you were to opt for a solution for personal use, um, and I'm just talking software here, personal use it's one uh, has a certain, uh, it's bundled in a certain way. And then you have the business solution that it's bundled in a slightly different way. Now, usually the personal use is going to be considerably cheaper, right? But potentially it's going to lack on all of those security related uh, matters that are actually important to you. So uh, that's something that you should start 
potentially paying more attention. Yeah, maybe only one of your team members needs access to that particular uh, platform, but maybe it is still worth to buy a business level membership for that software so that you get the additional protections that are actually aimed at protecting your business. So that I would certainly say, you know, it's something that you should go back and check whether your software is actually working to keeping you safe, right? And your team and your data safe. So that's that's just kind of like uh, one way to see and to take a proactive step on being better protected. Great. One more takeaway. So I think the third takeaway is just going to take away from what Nate said, and even you, you know, this is, this is something that you need to look at. It's a continual improvement process. So don't just one and done it like most of us like to do. This is got to be looked at on a regular basis. Make sure it still meets your needs. If needs change, meaning the size of your organization gets larger, anything, your infrastructure changes, literally physically changes because you have new lines in new access points, whatever that might mean, you know, right. You have new users that are working remote now. This is COVID, right? So just you have to look at your current systems, review all of it, and just make sure that you continually improve it and that you're always up to date on the all of this stuff, right? The firewalls, the antivirus, and all the systems that you have in place. You, you got to continue to improve it, make sure it stays the way it needs to be or safe. Yes, Grace, I agree. And you know what? I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to say have the conversations with the experts. It's worth it. Look, Nate here is offering a very, 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 very thorough uh, analysis and it, it doesn't cost, right? That's his organization. But you know what, Grace? Even if you were to pay for some something like this, it's 100% worth it, right? Like the insights that you get and what it could actually help you prevent, it's really, you know, if you think about it, it's invaluable. He was just telling there some stories about some incidents and what has happened or so. Put a price tag to that, right? You probably can't, right? Particularly not that being your business, not that being what your employees and clients rely on. So that, all that, you know, you, you really can't put a price tag. So 100%, uh, don't be shy about it and uh, take the right steps and, and plan for it, you know? And as, as Nate said, you, there you know, we, he gave us already some insights of things that you can do internally to take some initial steps to protect. And then as soon as you can and you're in a better place, bring the experts on board because that's always going to get you way more protected than any other step that you can take will. Grace, let's hope that there is room for recording a podcast next week. And um, yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to it. Talk to you All then. right, great. Stay, stay safe. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at We'll see you next week. Thank you.